Welcome to the MWC Church Podcast. This is Stephen Luna, the lead pastor. I just want to take a second to say thank you for listening, and I hope you find that this inspires you in your relationship with Christ. Now here's this week's sermon. Hey, so we are in this series called The Thank Tank. Everybody say The Thank Tank. God has designed us, God has designed us to be individuals who are filling our thank tank. We said a couple weeks ago that you are either spilling or filling your thank tank, that, that all of us, if we were going to hypothetically speaking, we, we, we are of a reservoir, and at all times we are either filling that reservoir with thankfulness or we're spilling out thankfulness by being ungrateful or, or complaining and grumbling. So God's desire is that you and I would be people who fill our thank tank. Amen? But how many of you know that it's possible because of what Christ has accomplished to overflow with thankfulness. In Colossians chapter two, we see Paul speak to this and he says this, and just now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue, everybody say continue. Continue to follow him. This is a process, it's progression. You must continue to follow him. That means that you coming to an altar or praying a prayer at your seat, accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior was just the beginning. It doesn't stop there. It's a, you, you didn't get a card the moment you received Jesus and it says, get out of hell free, hold on to this. When you die, I'll punch this and you'll get into heaven. No, when you accepted Jesus, you signed up to say, Lord, I'm following you every day of my life until eternity ends, and that never ends, because it's eternity, and that blows my mind. But he says this, just as you accepted Christ Jesus, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down deep into him, and let your lives be built on him. And this is the result. Then your faith will grow strong in truth, you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. Did you know a response, the most normative response after salvation is thankfulness. All I know is that if I was dying and someone came and threw me a rope, if I was hanging on a ledge and I was about to fall off this ledge and just, and someone came and dropped a rope and made this incredible saving act, I'd be hugging them for the rest of my life. I'd be kissing them. I'd be, I'd be thankful. God's desire as recipients of a beautiful grace, a beautiful saving, is to overflow with thankfulness. But sometimes that's harder, or it, I should say this, sometimes that's easier said than done. Why? Because we're people, because we're messy, and sometimes we spill instead of fill our thank tank. So God's desire is for us to overflow, to, to, be, to be overflowing over, to, to just pour into other people. And then how do we do that? Well, we've already said this. Week one, we said one way to begin filling your thank tank is through praise. Everybody say praise. God is desirous of our praise. And in every circumstance, in every season, in every situation, even when you are in the lowest of valleys, God is still worthy of praise. We will not be circumstantial worshipers. We are people that understand that Christ is deserving of our worship at all times, that it is possible. Now, we don't fake it till we make it. We don't just, just, just paint a smile on our face and, and say, you want to know how I got these scars? And like, like, that's kind of 
weird and creepy. Don't do that. Uh, we aren't Christians that fake it, and, and we're at funerals and dancing and celebrating and doing a two-step. Like, we, we don't believe you got to fake it till you make it. But we do know this, that, that in those moments where you are experiencing the lowest point you've ever had, when you have been cheated on, when you have been uh, just experiencing just horrible, horrible in- encounters with life, even in those moments that when we force ourselves to fall to our knees and even if we're, our, our fists are clenched and, our, and we're gritting our teeth and we choose to give God praise, those are some of the most intimate moments we can ever experience. Am I alone in that? Those moments when, when sometimes we're like, oh, I just don't know how I'm going to get out of this and we choose praise, God does something. We overflow with thankfulness. We are reminded of eternity. We're reminded of how forever good he is and how he's correcting every wrong. And even we don't want to be people that are so fixated on what's happening in the immediate, but we can look over and peek over and see what he's, ha- what he's doing in the internal. And we know that he is a victor. He's, he's the victor. He is the victorious one. And we get to reign with him in victory. Amen? That's good. So we praise God. Secondly, we show restraint. Everybody say restraint. Restraint. This is another way to fill your thank tank. And you may be hearing restraint, and I know what, what that means in our culture, because in our culture, in American culture, we are essentially, uh, we are a very hedonistic culture. You're like, well, what, is, what is hedonistic? What does that mean? Hedonism is, a, is, is really a Greek philosophy that Jesus was coming up against, and Paul even refutes in, in his travels. But hedonism is the philosophy that says the ultimate end goal of life is to increase pleasure. The greatest pleasure I can experience, the greater life will be. The ultimate end goal of life is to increase in pleasure. So I'm about to feast and eat and Thanksgiving and yams and clams and whatever that rap girl, that sounds so awesome, that's a cool song, but, but like saying all these different things, right? Potatoes, but you know what I'm talking about? Nobody knows. Okay, some of you do. Some of you guys are on Instagram. Some of you are like, what are you talking about, Pastor? We don't believe that, the, 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 that, the, that life is all about how can I increase in pleasure. Philosophically speaking, we, like, you know what's something that gives me pleasure? I love Sour Patch Kids. I, I love Halloween candy, but I'm about to throw away all the Halloween candy in my house because it's turning my kids crazy and it's giving me stomach aches. So, so we know that increasing pleasure, maximizing pleasure isn't the best philosophy. So we say that restraint Enjoying pleasure, but knowing when we should say no is a good thing. So we've said this, restraint is saying no to some things, some things, so you can say yes to God's things, right? Learning how to say no seems senseless. It may seem restrictive and painful, but when you recognize that God has designed you to truly experience and enjoy life, you realize that the things you say no to actually enable you to say yes to better things. I remember before I became a Christian, one of the things that I would say that that kept me away from Christianity was this. I would say, it's all about rules. It's all about thou shalt not and thou shalt not and don't do this and you better do that and you better pay your taxes and all these different things And because uh, Jesus literally says that, give to Caesar what is Caesar. Anyway, so I, I was always like, oh, it's just a restrictive religion. But here's the thing I didn't know that the things that God does put restrictions on are simply because it's better the other way. 
Like, like God is not just some cosmic prude who, who wants you to, to just not be happy and not enjoy life. The, the, the more you get closer to Jesus, the angrier you become. That, that's not a reality. I feel like I, with the church that I was raised in, the more mature of a believer you were, the tighter your hands got clenched around your arms and the more scowl lines you developed on your face. And, and that's not the case. God wants us to overflow in joy. He, the things that we Put a, put a no on is because we say yes to something better. The reason why we say no to alcoholism is because we understand that we are saying yes to health and improved relationships. The reason why we say no to pornography is not because God doesn't want us to enjoy sex. He created it. Sex is of the Lord. It is good. But it is in the order that he has created in. That maximizes the amount of pleasure that God has called us to. So we don't say no to pornography because we're prudes. We say no to pornography because we understand that, that, that it increases health. In fact, studies are even showing the, the negative uh, effects that it's taking on the brain after generations of studying this effect that's happened in America. We also understand that it increases intimacy. It truly increases intimacy with your spouse. So we say no to things because we're saying yes to better things. We say no to anger and just acting out on emotion and being reactive because we understand that when we say no to that, we're saying yes to a life of peace, a life of self-control, a life of order, a life of handling conflict biblically in a way that pleases the Lord and brings joy to ourselves. Amen? So saying no seems difficult in the moment. That's because you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you're losing by saying yes to destructive behavior and sin. And you also don't know what you can possibly gain by saying no to unhealthy behavior or sin. C.S. Lewis, an incredible writer, a theologian, he, he wrote this in this beautiful sermon called uh, The Weight of Glory. He says this, it would seem, and he's talking about us, our difficulty to say no to things and saying yes to some things. He says this, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong or our temptations not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Here he's saying, what we have in our hands. Oh, man, I, I, can't, I can't get rid of this alcohol. It, it's just too fun. It's, yeah, I, I've, I've been smoking. I've been drinking. I've been doing all these things my entire life. I, you don't understand what is better, what is being offered. Like a child who is still playing with mud pies in a slum, being offered the opportunity of going on a holiday at the sea. He's a good God. And what he tells us to say no to is for our betterment. And here's the thing. He gives us self-control when we seek him. So we, we say no. We choose to say no to sin. We, we take restraint seriously, but when we do, we release God's blessing. Amen? So that leads us to our, our, our third. Man, I want Bentley in service all the time. That guy amens more than anybody in this church. <laughs> when I was a kid in 1994, um, uh, we went to a, some of you are like, a kid in 1994? How old are you, Pastor? Anyway. When, when I was growing up, my dad took us to the Lion King. Uh, me and my cousin, uh, Hernando, he, he took us to the Lion King to go watch that in theater. Um, and it, it, was, it was one of those run, longest running Disney movies that were ever on. I think it was in theater for like 11 months. Anybody still remember the, Lion, the original Lion King in theaters? And uh, my, my dad took me and my cousin, and this was like literally, I think it was either this or Batman Beyond that were like my first movies in theater. Dude, that, that movie terrified me. That penguin's scary. Anyway, I don't, know, I don't know what my mom was thinking. Um, 
But so, so, she, so my dad took us to the Lion King, and uh, how many of you remember the Disney store? Yeah, the Disney store. I haven't seen that in years, but he took us to the Disney store beforehand. He bought us a Simba. So I had a Simba, and, and my cousin Hernando was a little chubby, and he thought it'd be funny to buy him a Pumbaa, so we bought him a Pumbaa. And uh, I didn't get the joke until many years later, but he bought me a Simba, bought him a Pumbaa, and... Uh, which I think like your dad taking you to go watch The Lion King where the kid loses his dad is probably one of the most traumatic experiences I've ever had, but that, that's, that's for my psychologist and my counselor to talk about, but we'll, we'll keep going. So we go to this movie, he buys, he buys me a Simba, buys my cousin a Pumbaa, he gets us a big old bucket of popcorn, like I'm talking the one, like the extra large that you get a marker in the back, the free refill, refill like a big old thing of popcorn, he got his snow caps, any snow caps fans? I'm gonna pray for you because that's like the worst candy ever. But he bought us snow caps, red slushies. I mean, we like we were like like huddling or like or uh, hobbling to our seats. Like it was incredible. But while we're checking out, I look over to my dad who just bought us a Simba at the Disney store. So that was like a hundred dollar purchase and popcorn and the tickets and and all the and the slushies and the snow caps. I look to my dad and I say, "But I wanted gummy bears." And he's like, "Well, your cousin Hernando is weird and he likes snow caps." So we're going to share snow caps. And I'm like, but I wanted gummy bears. And uh, he's like, just drop it. You'll be fine. You got popcorn, a slushy Simba, a good day. We're going to have a great time. You're going to watch me die on TV. I'm like, all right. <laughs> so we go into the theater, and I'm still going at it. Like, my, my hands are full. I got great things in my possession. And I'm like, but I wanted gummy bears. You don't understand, Dad. Like, and I started like four or five years old. Well, I don't know why I'm doing this. And I just begin having a fit. I'm throwing a tantrum. And I don't know about you, but growing up Mexican, like you can't throw tantrums. Like there's no such thing as time out. So my, my dad was like, what are you doing? And he's getting red in the face. And he's like, I said, no gummy bears. You got everything else. You are fine. Sit down. And I still go at it. And I'm like, I wanted gummy bears. And at this point, I'm going nuts. Gummy bears. Like I'm just like screaming PTSD. I'm just like throwing stuff around. Gummy bears. And my dad does this like, if now that we're talking 90s movies, does this awesome Steven Seagal move. Pick me up, turns me around, slaps my butt, throws me back in the chair, popcorn goes flying everywhere, and I'm crying, and he's angry, and, and you know what I realized? The reason why I lost my popcorn, the reason, the reason why I was so frustrated is because I had not yet learned the skill known as contentment. My father gave me everything. In fact, he gave me things I didn't even ask for. He gave me a Simba. My chubby cousin got a Pumbaa. Like, we, we got a lot of good stuff. There was, there was no equal transaction in there. I came to the table as a sniveling four-year-old, and he gave me everything. He gave me popcorn and snow caps and a red slushie, like everything I could have asked for, and that was not enough. So I went to him with this heart of discontentment and said, I demand more. My lack of contentment not only resulted in a sore butt, but I also lost what was already in my possession because I wasn't content. I believe that we have the tendency, if we're gonna be honest, to overlook the wonderful things we have been given because we're too busy noticing what we still lack. And sometimes we even lose what God has given us because we are not content. Because we're not content. How does that translate? Maybe, maybe you lost popcorn at one point. And get gummy bears, but, but as adults, as, as individuals now over the age of four, even the youngest person in here is over the age of four, the men or women who are not content with their spouses, so we complain about them, and we 
don't have the relationship, the intimacy is lost. And maybe, just maybe, that leads to even extramarital relationships. Not because there was anything wrong with that individual. Imperfect as they were, the reality is it remains with you. You're discontent. Or perhaps you're the kind of individual who is not content with their current place of work, so you're just constantly complaining and, and, oh, I hate this place and blah, 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 and yet you fail to realize that God has given you an opportunity to provide and put food on the table and to pay for your bills, and he's given you the ability to work with your hands and activate the mind that you've been given, and, and yet because you are discontent, you can do nothing but complain, and the heart of God wants us to be individuals who are content, or maybe you were like how, how I have historically been, and, and I've hated every single stage of life that I currently found myself in. You, was, am I the only one? When I was a kid, I would always say, oh, I can't wait to be a big kid. Like, I, I just want to hang out with my older cousins. Why do I got to go to bed at nine? And I would just be so frustrated. And then when I became a teenager, guess, guess what happened? Oh, I can't wait to get out of the house and go to college and, and finally just enjoy life. And guess what? When I was in college, oh, I'm so sick of college. I'm so sick of school. I can't wait to be an adult. I can't wait to actually have choices and, and do things and, and, and make money. And guess what happens? I'm an adult. And I'm like, oh, I just don't want to be an adult anymore. I want to be a kid again. And I want to not have responsibilities. And I want to wake up up at 11.30, and I just want to enjoy life again. And guess what? You are never satisfied. You're never content. And I have had, historically, historically speaking, I've struggled with this. My wife is so gracious. I always say in our relationship, she's the Holy Spirit. She's just so good. She knows how to convict beautifully. She, she always says to me, I'm not a country fan. I'm not a fan of country, country music. Um, she is. When we were dating, she burned me a CD. Now, you know how old we are. She burned me a CD of her favorite country tracks. And there was one on there specifically, the country fried. No, I'm just kidding. That's on there, but we won't talk about that because uh, they talk about beer. But anyway, um, there was one song specifically by Trace Atkins. It's, it's called You're Gonna Miss This. Anybody familiar with it? You're going to miss this. You're going to want this back. You're going to wish these days hadn't gone by so fast. These are some good times. Take a good look around. May not know it now. You're going to miss this, right? Yeah, give it up for your pastor, right? I, I could have thrown throw some twang in there, but listen, I'm from the hood, and I don't do that, so you're going to miss this. You're going to miss this. So my wife would just... There, there's moments when, when I would complain about stuff. Even kids, like, oh, I can't wait till we're out of this stage. I can't wait till our kids sleep until 11 so that I can, like, sleep in a little bit because I hate waking up at 5 a.m. with August. And she looked to me and say, she looks to me and says, you're, you're going to miss this. What, what is she addressing there? Discontentment. Discontentment, the inability to enjoy where you're currently at. Listen, if that's you, if you took a survey and said, you know what, Pastor, I, I am a little discontent in life. I am guilty of that. I, I want you to understand something. The God that we serve is a redeemer. And maybe I talked earlier about the, the extramarital relationships, and maybe you have displayed discontentment in some of the most awful ways. Maybe you've stole things and done things. God is a redeemer. He is a restorer. He can deliver any situation. He can deliver you from any circumstance. He is a good God, and he addresses the issue of discontentment. If anybody wants us to overflow with thankfulness more than you want to overflow with thankfulness, more than you want your spouse to overflow with thankfulness, God in heaven wants us to overflow flow with thankfulness. He desires to redeem. He desires to restore. He desires to fill us up with contentment. So today I'm telling you, God wants us to increase in contentment.
Today we're going to be talking about the attitude of thankfulness. If I were to title this message, I was going to say, uh, show thanks or get spanks. <laughs> Contentment. Contentment. What, what is the definition? The, I looked up the, the dictionary, Webster's Dictionary, and they define contentment like this, a state of happiness and satisfaction. And I would say that's a very entry level of contentment, a state of happiness and satisfaction. This is what I would call situational contentment. If, if the feeling's just right, I'm satisfied. If the meal is, is good, if it's a little overcooked, I'm, I'm not quite as content. This is situational contentment. This kind of reminds me of the newborn baby. You ever, you ever hold a newborn baby right after they've been fed? Oh, they are so cute, just cooing, and uh, you're just looking at them, and you just want to kiss them and hug them, and oh, man, I'm, I'm ready for another one, Katie. But they're just like so, so cute, so, so cute. She's like, you're going to carry it. <laughs> but they're just so cute. But guess what happens? Guess what happens two hours later? They, they're hungry again. And this beautiful, docile little creature from heaven turns into the spawn of Satan and is going nuts and crazy and screaming and, and going crazy. And you're just like, where did this come from? Well, they, are, they were experiencing situational contentment. The situation has passed and they are no longer satisfied or happy. This is not the kind of contentment God wants us to have. The kind of contentment he gives is called lasting contentment. Everybody say lasting contentment. The Bible would define it, define it as this, freedom from worry or concern because of an overwhelming satisfaction with what you already possess. Freedom from desire, from worry, from concern because you are overwhelmingly satisfied with what you already possess. Lasting contentment. That's what he desires to give. So I want to give a quick survey. Uh, you may be lacking contentment if... You may be lacking contentment if, and I'm just going to give you three. You can survey yourself. You don't have to show your results or share, share those results with anyone, but let, let's just go through these. You may be lacking contentment if you already have the Black Friday ads. I know it. I know it. Listen, listen, dude, I, I'm, I'm a Black Friday shopper. I've been one happily for the last five years, um, and my wife also has been one too, but we are two different Black Friday shoppers. She's frugal, and she enjoys saving money. I like kicking people and stealing things from old ladies. <laughs> like, it, just like, like I'm a pastor now, and, I, and I'm no longer in the hood, so I can't fight, but on Black Friday, all, all bets are off, and I get to wrestle people in the aisle. Just kidding. I've never done that. You're just like, Pastor. Some of you are like, I'm coming to this church, and some of you are like, I'm leaving this church. You may be lacking contentment if you already have the Black Friday ads. Why? Listen, maybe you're frugal. That's fine. Maybe you're just like, I, 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 I like to save our family some money. That, that's fine. But if you're already looking to, to replace the TV that you got last year, that is a sign of discontentment. You're unsatisfied. In fact, I, I looked up some of Black Friday's uh, ads that they had in 2010. I think that was like the first year I started Black Friday shopping. So I went back and I looked at what was I so desirous of in 2010. And I saw a 52-inch Samsung LCD TV with two HDMI ports, beautiful television, going for $987. I didn't buy it. I bought that off-brand off one for like 200 bucks. But... I went back and I looked at what that price was, 987. I, I, I looked it up today. You can get it for 100 bucks on eBay. In 2010, they were selling the Nintendo Wii bundle, $298, two video games, a nunchuck. They're giving those things away. Your neighbor has one that doesn't even want it anymore. 
contentment. We lack it. What's the remedy for this? I would say this. If you're struggling with discontentment, specifically in the area of saying, I need more, I need more, I need more, I want more, I want more, I want more, I would say the remedy is this. Learn to verbally give thanks for what you already have. And, and, and the key there is verbally. It's one thing to think it. It's another thing to say it. I can think in my mind, I love my wife. She's beautiful as much as I want. But things begin to change and shift in our marriage when I, when I say it. You can try to be content in your mind, but something happens and God releases freedom in your life when you begin to verbalize that and say, Lord, I, I thank you for what you've given me. When you gather before a meal and give thanks for that meal, God begins to increase your contentment and satisfy you. Verbally give thanks for what you have. The Bible says this, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Well, sometimes you got to put what needs to come out of your heart and force it down your mouth and say, I'm gonna be someone who's thankful. I'm gonna be thankful. Specifically in the area of Black Friday, because I know I'm hitting home with many of us, ask yourself this. Ask yourself why before you buy. Why do I want this? Even if you're at that checkout on, well, why do I need these, these, these 36 pack of socks? Like, like, like why? Why, Lord? Just, just speak to my heart now. And, and, and maybe someone will drop a, a word of knowledge and say, hey, you don't need it. Right? Like, stop. But why before you buy? The second, sir, the second question in the survey is this. Uh, if you toss and turn in bed. You may be lacking contentment if you toss and turn in bed. Why? Now, I know some of us may have a medical situation where it's difficult to, to sleep. I, I understand that. I know some of us may even have some, some uh, actual emo- emotional things that we're working through. I, I get that. But tossing and turning in bed as a result of anxiety may actually be a sign of discontentment. Why? Because anxiety, let's just say for a moment, let's just say for a moment, anxiety can be a choice. And we choose to be anxious. I'm no doctor here, and I'm not suggesting anybody take this as medical advice. But I I am saying this. As as one who has historically struggled with anxiety, many of you remember two years ago when I came up here and I just confessed what I was dealing with and how I was so anxious and I, I had to go to the doctor because I thought I was having a heart attack. I literally had to step out of staff meeting one day and I went to the doctor and, and, and I was like, doctor, something's happening. My heart's racing and, and, and I'm feeling like crazy. Can you please just take some tests and figure out what's going on with me? Is it diet? I've been working out. I'm exercising. Everything should be fine. And, and he's like, uh, there's nothing wrong with you. I've taken tests. I ran an EKG. Like there, there is nothing wrong with you. And I'm like, take another test. I feel it right now. Like, it's, it's going crazy. He took my heart. Nothing. Strong heart. He's like, I believe you're having anxiety attacks. And here, a individual who would not profess to be a believer looked to me and said, have you ever tried praying? Have you ever tried meditating? And in that moment, I was like, this is the voice of the Lord. He wrote me a prescription and I believe we're overprescribed in this society anyway, but he wrote me a prescription, and the Lord said this to me ever so clearly. To me, I'm not saying this is for you. You pray about that. But the Lord said this to me. You can take those meds. Nothing wrong with them. Common grace. I've given people insight and wisdom, and they're, they're good things. You can take those, or you can first try to give me your problems, your concerns, 
your worries. You can go to my word and realize that Jesus says, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, that's a choice. Don't be anxious about anything. But in, in everything, with prayer and thanksgiving, bring your request to God. And he gives us a promise. And the peace of God, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So I started bringing my stuff to Jesus. And I understood something. My anxiety was my choice. And my lack of sleep and my tossing and turning in bed was a choice because I was feeding myself this discontented lie that said I am more important than I actually am. So what is a remedy to actually get some good sleep? Tell yourself this, I'm not that important. I'm not that important. Say it with me, I'm not that important. Now are you valuable? You better believe it. Did God send his one and only son to die on the cross for your sins? You better believe it. But when it comes to your position at work, when it comes to to what you accomplish in life, we're really not that important. If you look at the, the spectrum of time, we're but a sliver. The Bible says a blink of an eye, a vapor in the wind. So why are we so anxious? Why do we lose sleep? Why do we toss and turn? Because we're discontent. And one way to increase in that contentment is to understand that there is one who is that important, and it's God. That he's the one who can carry and shoulder your burdens. He's the one who we can cast all of our anxieties on him, and he will lift them. Today there is hope, there is peace, there is contentment in Christ. The remedy would be this. Pray before you go to bed and give everything to God. Like literally do this tonight. If you, if you struggle with sleep, this is your homework. Before you go to bed, bring every concern you have to him and say, Lord, these aren't for me to shoulder. They're yours. So I submit them to you. I admit my failures today. I trust you for strength. And I'm confessing before you, Lord, that I am not that important. And I give you praise. You know what will happen? You'll get some good sleep. I promise you. I've tried it. I've been trying it. Proverbs 3, 19 to 21 tells us this. Beautiful passage. He says, by wisdom, the Lord laid the earth's foundations. Now now he's talking about cosmology, the creation of all things. By wisdom, the Lord laid the foundations of the earth. By understanding, he set the heavens in place, all of the cosmos, every star in the sky. By understanding, the Lord set them in place. By his knowledge, the watery depths were divided and the clouds let drop the dew. I mean, here Solomon in all of his wisdom is saying God was the initiator, the original, the originator of all things, the creator of all things. God is the one who did it all. And he continues on in verse 21. My son, do not let specifically this wisdom that I just talked about in context, do not let this wisdom and understanding out of your sight. The things you just heard me say about the cosmology, uh, the, the power, the creative power of our God, don't, don't let that lose yours. Don't, don't lose sight of that. Don't let that leave your understanding. Preserve sound judgment and discretion. And verse 24, he says, then, if you do all these things, look what he says, verse 24, if you lie down, you will not be afraid. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be Sweet. 
by recollecting that God is the creator of all things. So to the brother and sister who are struggling with anxiety, remind yourself who truly is God. Third survey would be this. You may be struggling with contentment if you compare yourself to others or gossip about them. You may be struggling with contentment if you compare yourself to others and or gossip about them. Why? Listen, comparison is a trap. When you compare yourself to others, what you're doing is saying you don't measure up. And when you don't measure up, you will always feel discontent. And gossip is the exact opposite of that, saying others don't measure up to me. And that's rooted in security. Because what you are trying to do is to push others beneath you by gossiping and saying, I'm slightly, even if ever so slightly, I'm slightly better than them. That allows and encourages a ground to produce discontentment. So what do we do to combat that? I would say this. To, com- to combat comparison and gossip, I would say the best thing you can do is to force yourself to publicly celebrate people. And when you're meeting with someone and talking about someone, privately praise people. To lift them up. If you have one negative thing, bring up three positive things and don't say that negative thing. But to publicly and privately celebrate people will force you to develop contentment in yourself. Now, if I ended this sermon here, I'd be leaving you with what I would consider a a bit of a disservice. Because can I just say something honestly? Contentment is not a self-discipline alone. Contentment is not a situation. It's not a mind shift. it's It's not taking control of your thoughts. Contentment, those are aspects of it, but contentment needs to be found in the person of Jesus. Contentment can only be found through Jesus. In order to capture lasting contentment, it's more than a self-help recipe. It's lasting contentment is not a mindset shift or self-discipline. It's not even found in religion. It's found in Jesus. Psalm 23 tells us this, the Lord is my shepherd. Now we may have heard this in a funeral sermon before and we see these beautiful, this beautiful imagery. He, he makes me lay down in green pastures and he, he leads me by quiet waters. His staff and his rod, they come for me. These beautiful blessings in those six short verses, there's 10 alone. But I believe that the foundation to all of them is found in verse one. It's this, the Lord is my shepherd. Pause. Everybody say, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And as a result, the next statement comes into play. I have all that I need. And the Lord is my shepherd. Other, verses, other translations say, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. You want to know the key to contentment? It's found in Christ. It's found in Jesus. When he is your shepherd, you will lack nothing. I conclude with John 7. Everybody say John chapter 7. A beautiful portion in Scripture. The Jews are celebrating this Feast of Tabernacles, which was the time when they would commemorate all that God did in the wilderness. And it was a week-long feast. Like, God loves celebration. He loves, he loves when people party. He, he's a good God. He's not boring. He's not hard. But they're, they're celebrating this seven-day celebration where they would recall the 40 years that their people were traveling in the wilderness and struggled 
But God was the one who would deliver them and provide for them. He fed them with manna and quail. He was a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of, or a cloud by day. He would cover them. He would protect them. He'd provide for them. He was their everything. Gave them everything for 40 years. So they would meet in this Feast of Tabernacles or tents or booths because they were all living in tents at the time. That's where it gets its name. But on the eighth day of this feast, what they would do it was they would all get together in Jerusalem. On the eighth day, they would, after fasting and after eating unleavened bread and, and eating just, just substandard meals, on the eighth day, they would have this huge feast. And they would recall that they were once people in the wilderness and they were traveling from their place of bondage and they were finally coming into the promised land, the, the promise of God. And the moment they crossed over, the Lord said something to them, I'm changing your diets. You will never again have manna and quail. You now get to partake into the promises that I've given you. You are going to a land overflowing with milk and honey. But I need you to remember something, because something may happen. There may come a time where you think it's your own hands that did this, but you need to remember that it was the Lord who led you through the wilderness and brought you here. You may be overflowing with abundance, but the Lord would say to you that today, I am the one who's provided for you. So what happened in John chapter 7? It says right there, on the last and greatest day of the festival, people are stuffing their faces. They're excited. We were once living in the wilderness, and now we're in this promised land. We are so blessed. Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, he says this, come to me. Anyone who is thirsty, come to me and drink. The invitation is this. You think your feast will satisfy you. You commemorate, and we're commemorating what our people had went through for 40 years. But I'm telling you, that was just a foreshadowing of me. I am the promised land, Jesus says. You think it's this ground that you live on, and it's beautiful. But God was using that to be a foreshadowing that I am the completion of that promise. Nothing will satisfy you quite like me, the Lord is saying. And I'm here to tell you that now we fast forward. We've never had our wilderness years like, like they did but we are walking through a dry and weary land and, and some of you may be exhausted and some of you may be thirsty and hungry and Jesus would say to you this morning, come to me and drink. You're not gonna be filled up with your feast. Only I can satisfy. Only I have the power to give you the satisfaction that you're so desirous of. So Jesus continues to be our promised land. Notice what he says here. Look, I mean, look at the, the beauty of the invitation. Who, who is he inviting? Look at that verse in verse 37. Let, let anyone. As he's saying, let some, let anyone. The invitation is for anyone who admits they are discontent with life. Sister, brother, if you're struggling with contentment, please understand this. The problem is because you haven't been satisfied in Christ. Now you're saying, well, pastor, I've been a Christian for X amount of years, but can, can I just be honest? There are moments where contentment escapes my life too when I need to go back to the source. Can I be honest? On a daily basis. I need to go to Jesus and say, Lord, satisfy me. 
Fill me up. Satisfy me. Give me all that you have. Allow me to be content. But he says, let anyone who is thirsty. Notice that he says thirsty. Why do you think he uses thirsty? Because if you think about it, drinking is one of the most natural things. Did you know this? We have to be taught how to physically consume food. Like kids, that's why they're messy and they're just learning and they're, they're trying to get forks and utensils. But drinking, suckling, is the most basic function of a human. So the Lord is saying this. We all have the same basic need. We're thirsty. And Christ is that well. He is that satisfaction. So if you want to increase in contentment, if you want to overflow with thankfulness, start at this place of contentment and understand it only starts and concludes with Jesus. Whoever believes in me, he says, as the scriptures have said, waters of living water will flow from them. You drink from me, you're going to overflow. It's going to flow from you and touch every crevice of your life and every place you go. Contentment will be contagious in your life. And God's desire is that you would be contagious with the amount of contentment that you're filled with. Complaining escapes. It's gone. Fear, comparison, judgment, gossip, materialism, gone. Because Christ has satisfied. Jesus says the same thing in John chapter 4. He had a similar conversation with the woman. She said this, everyone who drinks from this well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I know that there's some of us in this place, if you're honest with yourself, you're saying, Pastor, I am thirsty. I'm so dry and feeling spiritually arid. I'm in need. And my appetite and my thirst has led me to other wells that I shouldn't even be drinking from. I know they don't fulfill I know that relationship is not going to satisfy. I know that content that I'm consuming is not going to scratch that need. Friend, I'm here to tell you that there is one who will, and it's Jesus. It's always going to be Jesus. So can we just in this moment just recognize that God is in this place and just bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment and just respond to what the Lord is saying. I believe he's speaking to us clearly today. Maybe there's some of us who are looking to social media to scratch that need that we have to be noticed. And the Lord would say to you, I notice you. Maybe you're someone who fills themselves with food to fill this this need. You just eat without consideration. And the Lord would say to you, I I am what satisfies. This isn't a comment on on looks or anything vain. This is simply a, a conversation of the Lord saying, I can satisfy. 
Or maybe you're the individual who, who struggles with vanity and you have so many regulations and restrictions and you, and you force yourself into a mold and because you, you deep down inside, you, you say it's health, but really it's, it's because you, you're not happy with, your, with yourself and who God's created you to be. So you go on these absurd diets and you, and yes, people applaud you and they parade you, but the Lord would say to you that, that I can satisfy the Lord knows if, if this is because of a desire to be healthy or if it's, it's because you, you struggle with comparison and you love the celebration from others. The Lord would say to you, he's satisfied with who you are and come to him and he will make you who you want to be. So Father, we just come to the source. We come to the well. And our desire is that every single one of us in this place would make the decision to trust you and to drink. The word of the Lord says that come and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that he is a delight. So we come to you, God. We ask that you satisfy us. With every eye closed, every head bowed, if there's anybody in this place that would say, you know what, Pastor? I, I just need Jesus. I need to be satisfied in ways that I've never experienced before. I'd love to pray with you and pray for you in this moment. So if there's anybody in this place that would say, you know what, Pastor, that's, that's me. I need, I need to be satisfied like I haven't been in a long time. I want Christ to come in and I want to drink of of who he is. I want to be filled with who he is. I want the spirit to just flow in my life. If that's your Desire, would you just lift up your hand so I know who to pray for? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You're so good. Anybody else? Anybody else? Yes, Lord. Thank you, God. Father, you see these hands. You see these confessions. Father, I just pray right now that we would all find contentment and satisfaction in you. May you replace lies that we have allowed the enemy to build up in us, can you replace them with the truth that comes from Jesus? That you are our satisfaction, that you are our joy, that only you can be our pleasure. And that when we come to you, we begin to experience every blessing that you have for us. Like taste buds that have been seared because of the world. When we come to Christ, you heal us and we get to experience joy in life the way it was intended to be enjoyed. We love you. We praise you. You're our contentment. You're our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Can you give the Lord some praise this morning that he is our satisfaction? We love you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Friends, let me pray over you and we'll be dismissed. God, thank you so much for every single person in this place. Lord, as we come into this holiday season of Thanksgiving, I pray that we would become individuals that truly can do so because we've been completely content in you. We've been satisfied in you. Bless us. Lord, if there's anything in our lives that is not of God, may you just illuminate that to us and help us to make the adjustments that we need to make. Lord, we trust you. 
we go to you as our source. You're our everything. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Guys, God bless you. Take care. We'll see you next week. And that wraps up today's message. But we've got more on the way, so be sure to subscribe so you won't miss a future podcast. You belong here, so we encourage you to get connected. You can find us on social media or online at mwcwichita.com. That's mwcwichita.com. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you next week.